Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Euro Trips Football Podcast. This week, uh, we like to do some debates this week, so we're going to go through all events in Germany involving Bayern's title win. We're going to go through another collapse in Napoli in the Serie A. Uh, we go through rumours of a uh, managerial change involving Spurs and PSG. And we also go through um, what's been a very uneventful title race this year in Spain. So, hope you enjoy and let's get into it. of the Euro Trips podcast. I am your host Andy and I'm as ever joined this week by our regulars. I'm here with Naeem, Ryan and Jonathan. How are you boys? All good. I'm all good here. Yeah I'm well thank you. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, so yeah we've sort of gone for a different sort of we did the previews last week. This week, because it's only Tuesday, we can afford to do a bit more reviews and we've got some debates lined up for this week's podcast. Um, so, yeah, let's get started. So, the first league we're doing this week is the Bundesliga, who, of course, has a champion. But the team who won the league is no shock to anyone. It's Bayern Munich. So, Jonathan, what's been happening in the last seven days in Germany? Yeah, it really isn't. Um, Bayern, 10 in a row now. Uh, they beat... Borussia Dortmund in their Classico this past weekend, 3-1. Pretty easy for them. Dortmund's, I mean, if you just looked at their bench from this past weekend, it was an absolute shambles. Just, you know, competitive-wise against Bayern Munich, they really had no chance from the start. Holland didn't look right. He's, he sort of went off early with what looked like possibly another injury. So scary stuff for them, but no surprise. Bayern again. Uh, Wolfsburg beat Mainz 5-0 with five first-half goals. Um, a Jonas Wind brace and uh, Max Cruz also had a hat-trick. Big win for them in what's been a very difficult season. And I'll just touch on a few more games. Union beat Leipzig 2-1. They had an 86th minute and an 89th minute goal to come back and steal all three points, which is going to be huge. Europa League, European places. Uh, with Leipzig dropping those points and Union winning, Union now have a actually an extremely good chance of getting to the Europa League, which would improve on um, their conference league this past season. And Leipzig really needed at least a point there. So, you know, we'll see what happens between them and Union and Freiburg in these last couple of games. Speaking of Freiburg, they had a wild game against Mönchengladbach. They were down 2-0. They came back to actually lead it 3-2. Then I believe it was in the 93rd minute, Lars Stindl had a goal, which only gave Freiburg a point. And they also really, really needed all three points from those games to sort of shore up the Europa League spot now at this point. You know, who knows? Um, and finally, down at the bottom, Hertha Berlin beat Stuttgart 2-0. A major, major relegation game. Now, Hertha really need one more win, and they pretty much assure themselves a place in next year's first division. Not looking good for Stuttgart as as at the moment they're they're going down into that promotional playoff game. Yeah, and I wanted to get your thoughts, Jonathan, and you guys as well, Ryan Naeem, about the current state of affairs in the Bundesliga because this is Bayern's tenth league title in the row. There seems appears no signs of it slowing down. Even if Lewandowski leaves in the summer, there's still no signs that any teams can be anywhere near, anywhere close to Bayern Munich for the next few years. So I want to get your thoughts, Jonathan, on how they fix that because I've seen an article on the New York Times where uh, the article's named with 10th straight titles is Bayern Munich breaking the Bundesliga and it says as Germany's perennial champion extended this decade of dominance even its own fans were starting to worry that its success is getting a little bit boring um, and then there's other articles the same article even it's talked about um, how more and more Bayern fans are concerned with the lack of competition and of course you could tie this in with the fact that they've been knocked out of the Champions League early, and they, um, you know, they won it a couple of years ago, but they 
got far last year, but this year it's quite disappointing and get where they were, especially when we were and a lot of people were saying they were going to get to the final and even win the whole thing. So it's just, and there's, I saw a video on the Athletics YouTube channel with Mark Chapman and I officially forgot his name, but the, the Bundesliga um, correspondent for the Athletic and they were talking about how there's a, there's a talk of having playoffs in it now, which actually they say Bayern Munich's actually in favour of. A talk of a playoff system. There's also talk of um, a 50 plus one rule with the fans and stuff like that. So there seems to be a, a movement towards um, trying to change up the league and get it sort of competitive again because there is there is fears that were expressed in this video that the league could get boring and no one's going to watch it. And I think already this season people were probably tuning in more to the Premier League as they would anyway, but also leagues like Serie A, which seems, seems to be making a bounce back because how competitive the last two years have been in terms of the title race. And I think there is that fear for me as well that not only can it affect Bayern's European chances in terms of not having that regular competition, um, same as the issue with PSG. And also, I think it just, I mean, I certainly, I've always loved the Bundesliga, but I've certainly not bothered watching it this year because there's no point. Because last year, you, the COVID year, you had the Dortmund and Bayern rivalry, but this year and last year have just been, from, from what I remember last year as well, very one-sided. So, Jonathan, in terms of your, and also you've got probably more of a, a foot in the door than me in terms of knowing more about or watching more Bundesliga. Um, how do you see it all going down? How, how do you see the German league trying to make it more competitive going forward? Well, I think it is a very big issue. Here, here's what I think is the problem. If you ask a lot of fans of German football in Germany in particular, fans of Gladbach, Freiburg, um, Bochum, Augsburg, just regular fans of other clubs other than a Bayern, other than a Dortmund, I think most fans in Germany, it really doesn't bother them. They're so used to it at this point 10 years now that they still love their club. They love that their club is a little bit more modest. They're not trying to buy these big players. They don't have investors. And so I think in Germany-wise, it's not as much of a bother as it is to the outside world, which I think is really important for the Bundesliga if they want to grow um, that fan base outside of Germany. When you're an onlooker from that outside, it is a major concern because – you know, who's going to tune in if it's the same team winning every year, of course. And Germany is really growing in American investors, American players. That's, that might be, at this point, you know, the main thing. You've got Pulisic, Reina, um, you know, McKenney was there, now Ricardo Pepe. So many Americans are not going to the Bundesliga. They have a partnership with a bunch of American companies, stuff like this. So I really wouldn't be surprised if we did see that playoff system sort of um, you know, would be similar to a lot of how American sports operate post regular season. But at the same time, a part of me does feel that this run is actually going to end soon. I think Leipzig is extremely deep. They're only getting better and better. I, I, I don't know what to do about Dortmund at this point. I think Leipzig next year have a far better chance than Dortmund. But, you know, even with Lewandowski, he might leave this summer. I think players from Bayern themselves, there's a chance that they might even get tired of winning it's it seems so easy for them every year if you looked at the celebrations of Bayern against Dortmund this past weekend um sure you know they were pouring beer on each other and and they were happy of course but it, it really wasn't very special you know fans in the stadium they've done it for 10 years in a row so I do think that playoff system is a possibility but at the same time you know being a Bundesliga fan myself I really like the way it is now so I think a part of me also doesn't want to see that. But with all those American investors involved, I wouldn't be surprised if that is the answer in the end. Yeah, I think there's been talk about investment in other teams. But I think I read somewhere or saw in that video maybe where I think the fans seem happy with the course. There's a big sort of the big thing about the Bundesliga is the fact that, you know, a, a season ticket for a League Two side in England is worth more than a season ticket price of Bayern. It's very good system in the Bundesliga in terms of it, it's very affordable for fans you know it's not yes. they don't make you off like you do in the Premier League or even other leagues like Serie A La Liga and stuff like that um, and there's also this fears that should they try and invest into the league to make it more competitive 
and therefore it's going to ruin those things. If they bring owners in that all they want is money, like we've seen with the Glazers or any of the, any of the big teams, there's that fear, isn't there, that they could potentially go down the same route. I don't think fans want that. I think they'd actually be happy with just the way it is in that sense because they don't, they like, I think they're quite proud of the fact that their league's different to everyone else. Um, Ryan Ayim, what are your thoughts on this? Do you like the idea of playoffs in the Bundesliga? Uh, we'll go to you first, Naim. Um, playoffs now. I think they should just keep that in American sports. Like, it could be a good idea, but you know the the way the league league format is now in the Bundesliga is it's working well enough. And obviously, they have they have won ten in a row now. But I don't know. I guess it's just years of them like getting every other team's best players, and they've just got they've got a good system there. But I think mainly with Bayern Munich fans, they're they're more interested in in what's going on in Europe and. You know, this season in the Champions League, they did they did very well in the group stages, and then obviously they they got to the quarterfinals in the end, and then kind of just fizzed out. But I, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have I wouldn't have a playoff playoff system. I think, I think it's it's fine the way it is, and yeah, just keep that with American sports. It works well with those sort of franchises, but with football, yeah, no playoffs only really work. Obviously, with the lower leagues, um, obviously when you're coming up, it, it works well there. But man, I, I, I think I should leave it for the Bundesliga. To be fair, right? No, I mean, I obviously we all know on the podcast. Me, I'm a big American sports fan, the same as Jonathan for obvious reasons. Um, Ryan, do you think that they can maybe try it for for one year, just have a trial year with the playoffs in the Bundesliga, or do you think that once they start, they shouldn't stop or they shouldn't start at all? I mean, they could try it. It's again, it's everything is trial and error. But for me, I don't see the need to change it. I know Bayern have dominated for a very long time, but every team's dominance comes to an end sooner, you know, or later. Um, we've seen it throughout history. No team has sort of dominated throughout a whole league's entire history, and we will see a change sooner or later. And we are seeing teams within German football trying to make a change. We've seen Hertha Berlin, obviously their owners are very rich. They've tried to inject money. It hasn't worked yet. Whether it will do in the future, I don't know. But you've always got Dortmund up there. You've got Leipzig, who I don't know if they're ever going to be a, a genuine title challenger every season just because they seem to be more of a feeder club at the moment. Um Hopefully that changes in the future. But we've got other teams in there who are more than capable of challenging if they can add that little bit more quality. Leverkusen have got some brilliant young players who if they can keep, they'll be able to start challenging within another year or two. Um, you know, we've seen it in we've seen it in the past as well, other teams, you know, wasn't that long ago. You know, Wolfsburg obviously were champions not too you know, many years ago. Um then you had obviously Dortmund versus Bayern every year. So, yeah, I, I, I don't see the need for a playoff system personally. Last last thing I'll add to this, Andy, is um, what Bundesliga is going to have a very difficult time doing is because that 50 plus one rule in Germany is, it is so, so strong. I mean, the ultra sections and standees and stadiums are absolutely unbelievable. There's so much passion for their clubs that, you know, if Bundesliga do want to make a major change to improve a title race, they're going to upset so many fans within Germany. I'm not sure in the long run um, if, it, if it would be worth it, because I agree with Ryan. I think at, at some point in the next couple of years, I really do believe Bayern are going to lose a few of their superstars who are not willing to sign contract extensions and want to go to Real or the Premier League. And then I think we'll see change start to happen. Yeah, and I think one thing you could sort of argue against the playoff system is that it could be a year where they actually buy and finish fourth or fifth in the table, but then when the playoffs and the fans be like, well, if it was in the normal system, we would have we wouldn't want to leave. So say for example, Leipzig could finish first, could have someone like Dortmund second, Bayern fourth, could have a really bad year, but then they could just win the playoff thing and then you could have that thing where people go, oh, actually, I wish it was the old way because that meant they'd have won the league. So I think there's probably negatives to that as well, like anything, I suppose. But I think I think buying. I mean, I got asked by my course mates a few weeks ago about 
if there's any team you want to play for in the whole of Europe, who would it be? I said Bayern Munich because I, I think they're such a big club and I think that's a difference because, yes, these teams could improve, but Bayern improved in the last 10 years. They can just take any player they want because they're that big. And I think even if Lewandowski goes, even if Neuer retires or something like that, I think they've got the pull, they've got the stature worldwide that they can attract these big players um, and I think right now they probably haven't bought anyone in the last couple of years because the best players are probably elsewhere. Like I think, yeah, I think personally that Bayern are going to keep doing it because I think they've got that stature and I think they can attract pretty much most players except for maybe not as much as Bayern or Madrid or even Man U and Liverpool. But I think they're definitely up there as one of the biggest teams in the world and I think they're going to keep attracting players. They've got they a problem. Don't... They have a problem though because when you actually look at their squad... It's quite an aging squad. They haven't got that many really good young players. You know, you could maybe point to Sane and Gnabry, who isn't, you know, set in stone that he'll stay there. Obviously, mm. he, he gets yet to obviously sign a contract extension. And then you've got Lewandowski as well, who keeps being linked with moves away. It seems like he's after a new challenge, or, or I think it's the case of he wants a longer contract, but. Bayern aren't willing to sanction that and I think it's quite clear that they want Haaland but they're not going to get Haaland um, so that, that's why I think their dominance will end because at some point all the world superstars are going to be tied down and they're going to have to resort to taking more gambles in a sense so yeah I, I, that, that's what I think anyway. I mean, I think one thing Bayern have proved that they're very, they're very good. This is what Man U were good at in the Fergie, is that a beer player can leave, but they can bring someone in very easy. Instead, look, they had Oliver Kahn all those years. He retired and left. Who came in? Manuel Neuer. They had Robin and Ribery. They they both gone. Now they got Sane and Gnabry. They had mm. Closer and Olic for years. Now they got Lewandowski. But I think they have this great, great skill of. A bit like Atletico is strikers, they can always find a way to get someone else in next man up. They can always find a way to get someone else in that's going to do as good a job, if not better. So I, I think personally that something needs to happen, otherwise it's just going to be buying every year. But we're going to move on now to our second league, which is going to be Serie A. So um, here's Ryan with a quick roundup of what's been happening in Italy the last seven days and is a goodbye to one of the title challengers this year. Yes. <laughs> it's just that. Um, I mean, as we mentioned previously, both the Milan clubs faced really difficult fixtures at the weekend, but did they both come out on top? Um, <clears throat> well, first off, Inter, they sure did. A fascinating stat is that the last time Inter actually won back-to-back league titles, Jose Mourinho was in charge, but this time he was obviously bringing his Roma aside to the San Siro to try and stop his former club claiming another Squadetto. But it was Denzel Dumfries, one of the wing-backs who got Inter off the mark with a real striker-esque finish after some wonderful build-up play by Inter. Uh, before Marco uh, Brozovic made it two with a brilliant strike into the top corner. And Lotaro Martinez, who could be destined for a move away in the summer, he put away a header from a good corner to wrap up a crucial three points. Uh, Roma, they did get a consolation goal through Mkhitaryan, but yeah, it was really one-sided throughout that game. Roma did have the odd chance here and there, but it always looked like an inter-win. But one Milan club got the win. Did the other win, Andy? Tell me more. They did. Um, The the hybrid child himself of Gennaro Gattuso and Andrea Pirlo got the winner. Sandro Tonali, he scored in the dying minutes to keep Milan in the title hunt. Lazio, they'd led through your favourite striker, Chiro Immobile, until Milan equalised through a striker that isn't really loved by anybody, Olivier Giroud, with a typical Olivier Giroud finish. Um, I'm going to dispute that. I've always liked Giroud, just to put it out there. (laughs) Okay, well, Arsenal fans don't like Giroud, but we'll we'll, we'll gloss over that. it was a funny game because Milan arguably had more fans than Lazio inside Lazio's own stadium. Um, <laughs> Milan, they took 14,000 away fans to, uh, to the Olympico. Uh, the Lazio fans were apparently protesting the club's ticket prices. I mean, 
they should try coming to Arsenal games. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it, it was mad. You know, they had a they had a great display for the game, as as you do see quite often in Italian football. Did the Milan fans so? Yeah, they well and truly supported their their club throughout that game. Um, I mean, it was Latin Ibrahimovic who changed the game when when he was introduced as a substitute. Uh, he got the assist for Tonali. Um, sort of ball came in. Ibrahimovic just sort of headed it down, and Tonali got a little touch and then poked it home in stoppage time. And as a childhood Milan fan, you could see what it meant to him. Ripped his shirt off, ran into the Milan fans away section, and yeah. Massive, massive win for them. That was arguably the hardest game that you know they've got left to play. So, really, was big that they got that win, especially in the way that they did it as well. But as we talk about two of the title protagonists winning, the other one lost, meaning their hopes were well and truly dashed. Uh, Napoli suffered one of the biggest comebacks in Serie A history, a three-two defeat to Empoli out in Tuscany. After they went 2 0 up and looked quite comfortable, really, for Liam Henderson of Scotland got the, got one back for Empley just after the 80th minute before an absolute howler from Alex Murray, uh, similar to that of the City goalkeeper in the semi final a few weeks ago. Well, hey! <laughs> <laughs> that, that made it 2 2 before uh, the striker Pina Monte sealed. An amazing comeback for the for the Tuscan outfit. Now it was a it was a crazy game, and Spalletti afterwards sort of you know put his hands up and said that they absolutely threw that away, and that has well and truly now stopped any sort of talk of the title this season for Napoli, uh, which is unfortunate for their fans, but it is what it is. You know they can't be throwing games away in that manner. Um, but the biggest story unfolding at the moment in Serie A is that of Salernitana, who almost everyone, including myself, said were practically relegated weeks and weeks and weeks ago. They're now on the verge of staying up in what would be a remarkable story because obviously they were on the verge of collapse earlier in the year um, due to the owner of the club owning two Italian clubs, which is actually against the law in Italy. Uh, He was sort of on the deadline to sell the club. Eventually, they managed to sort it out but it still looked like they were going down. I mean, they were losing week in, week out, but they've won their last three games in a row. The latest coming at the weekend against Fiorentina, who are actually in decent form themselves. But it's the 39-year-old captain, Frank Ribery, who's led the charge in the last three games for the team from Salerno. And it would be unreal if they stay up, considering what they've been through this season. And you can see what it means to the fans at the moment, actually seeing their team win. And they have a genuine chance to stay up now. They're three points behind uh, Cagliari with a game in hand. So, you know, they win that game in hand. They could well and truly be outside of the relegation places with five games left to play. But it's Ryan, Ryan, uh, that sounds like a that sounds like a common mistake just to accidentally own two clubs in Italy. We've all done it before. So, sorry, <laughs> I think that's bad. Just a common mistake to accidentally own two clubs in Italy. I mean, oh, oh yeah. I mean, it's, oh, it, well. it happens to all of us at the end of the day. But um, <laughs> right, yeah. we've yeah. all done it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's it's certainly hotting up now at both ends of the table. Where it's it was you know the last couple of weeks it was looking a little bit sort of done and dusted really at the bottom. But yeah, crazy. Uh, Juventus won as well, but no one cares about them. So. That is certainly correct. That is certainly correct. How times have changed. Um, you, you mentioned about Napoli and the fact that they have let the two gold leads slip. I mean, they were in a very good position in like October, November time. This is mm. the second year in a row where they've been challenging for Serie A and they haven't um, quite... They, they've collapsed both years, really, to be honest, in both this year and last year. Um, in terms of, Ryan, what do you think needs to happen to Napoli? Because they don't want that to happen again a third year in a row. I mean, um, what do you what do you think needs to happen to stop Napoli, or to keep them competing, but also stop them collapsing again? If I knew, they would hire me as their manager. <laughs> oh, I don't. I, I honestly, I don't know. Um, they've got they've got a really good team. You know, they've got so so many good players in there. Um, obviously, they're going to be losing. 
one or two come the summer. Obviously, Lorenzo Insigne is going to Toronto, uh, which I still can't get my head around. But uh, obviously, we don't know if you know, there's going to be the obvious links again this summer with Koulibaly. I don't think he'll leave, but it's just, I don't know. They seem to just, they have that Tottenham kind of aura about them where they just bottle it every single season. Um, a bit similar to to Roma in, in, in Italian football kind of sense. They're often called bottle jobs as well, um, which is probably a harsh term. But, you know, to, to be 2-0 up against Empoli, and Empoli aren't the greatest of teams either, um, you know, they're 14th in the table. You know, they don't really, you know, ever threaten the big teams. And to to concede three goals in the space of, you know, 10, 12 minutes is just shocking. Uh, I know one of those goals was a horrific mistake from the goalkeeper. But, yeah, they just capitulated. And I don't know what needs to change because Spalletti's a, a really good manager. Um I don't know whether they need a, a new change of manager, whether they need an overhaul of the squad. Uh, yeah, it, I don't know. But actually, an interesting, a very interesting stat. I know you like your stats, Andy. Um, oh, boy, do I ever. That I found. And this is actually quite unreal. Uh, it's more to do with the Italian national team. But Serie A actually has the dubious honour of being the only league with three teams who didn't use a single club-trained player this season. And that might sound a little bit confusing to some people, but I'll, I'll break it down. And basically, the CIES Football Observatory sort of crunched the numbers and they found that there were only eight clubs in the 40 international leagues who didn't use a club-trained player this season. They are Brentford, Watford, Elche, Bayer Leverkusen, Union Berlin, Bologna, Udinese and Venezia. Obviously, three of those clubs, obviously, are representatives from Serie A. And obviously, the definition of a club-trained player is someone that has been at the club for at least three years between their 15th and 21st birthday. So, obviously, overall, Serie A ranked 38th out of 40 in all them 40 leagues in terms of percentage of minutes played by club-trained players during this season which is absolutely crazy. And there's, you know, this, this is why the Italian national team hasn't advanced that well. I know they won the Euros, but it's, I, I just thought that was an incredible statistic, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think, um, you look at that Italian squad that won the Euros. I mean, Donnarumma now plays in PSG. I mean, you got, you got a few players, haven't you, like Benucci, Chiellini, Immobile that play in Serie A, but then actually think about it, a lot of players do actually play in Serie A. I thought maybe more played in Premier League, but a lot of them do play in Serie A, so it's surprising that that's, that's happened, really, because um, you think of all the players they've got, they're all sort of Italian, and they're all playing in Serie A, most that have started to not won the Euros. Yeah, I mean, and this isn't just obviously the 40 leagues from Europe, this is 40 biggest leagues from around the world. Um, so you can kind of say, well, you know, clubs from the likes of Brazil and Argentina and Mexico and that are always going to be quite high on the list because obviously, you know, they don't tend to attract international players that much. But even still, I knew Venezia would be quite high on that list because when you do look at that team, they have sort of just assembled a team of sort of nomadic players. Um, They seem to be certain clubs are sort of just going for... Those young foreign players, there's a you know we've we've seen that there are a couple of uh, Scottish lads, uh, youngsters obviously playing in Italy now, and you know we didn't used to really see that, and this is an approach we we seem to now be seeing. I think these clubs are starting to re- look at which national teams obviously have the have the best up and coming young players, and they seem to be more focusing towards that, especially obviously in England, um, the amount of you know bright talent that we've got coming through our ranks, so. I think that's definitely contributed to that statistic, but it's still um, it's still crazy. Uh, it was actually Genoa; they are the Serie A side with the most minutes played by homegrown players, with 24% of the minutes from eight players. Um, even that still isn't that great. Yeah, I I, I 
I'm surprised that I thought there'd be a lot more teams you know, that had homegrown players. Mm. Um, but we're going to move on now uh, to our third league, um, which is the Premier League. So, in terms of the Premier League, um, it's still very much open, top and bottom. I mean, there's just one point separating first and second. At least happen after all, City won 5 1 against Watford, and Liverpool eventually beat Everton 2 0. Um, talking of Everton, they are on the bottom three now. That loss and Bernie's win on the same day against Wolves means that there's just a handful of points between uh, Everton and Burnley. But one team we should not rule out is Leeds. I know they got a draw last night, um, which means they're five points clear of, of Everton in 18th. Uh, but looking at the table now, they're in 16th with 34 points. Burnley are in 17th with 31 points. And Everton, with a game played less than those two, have 29. But uh, which means that at the moment Everton are going down. But Leeds' next three games, this is this is huge. So their next, next their next three games, they got Man City, Arsenal, and Chelsea uh, before the end of the season against Brighton and Brentford. But that three game stretch, it could be a lot different when those three games end because I think out of those games, it's only really I can see them getting one win max from that. I can't see them getting two or three wins and even then they could even lose all three and I think they probably will lose all three games so by then if Burnley, Burnley are in good form I mean that could, it could be all like a honeymoon period with their caretaker boss right now but if they carry on their form Everton who showed, who showed some fight in that Liverpool game I think they were outplayed but I think they had definitely looked dangerous at times with Ricardson had a had a chance I mean Anthony Gordon was, was really impressive for them so I think if they can show the fight they did in that game uh, in the rest of the season. I think they could easily get some wins. And that, that I think Leeds are not completely out of it. Um, and I think that whilst they're the best team of the, of the three, I think people aren't ruling out um, ruling them out winning. I think it's definitely could be a worry for Leeds. Um, and then top four as well, that's also tight. Um, so Arsenal got a win over Man U, 3-1, uh, with goals from, a wonder goal from Jacker as well as Saka and Taveras, as well as a goal from Ronaldo, which put him in the Premier League 100 club. I think he's the 33rd or 34th player to ever do that. And of course, there was a missed penalty at 2-1 from Bruno Fernandes. Um, no mistake there, Andy. Tell me more. What, what's this? Uh, his name is not Nuno Tavares. Tavares. It is Emmanuel Abue. <laughs> <laughs> no, Abue is better. I don't, know, I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, oh. Alvarez is, I know he scored, but he's pretty rubbish. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and, he's um, awful, man. He started well as well. Like, he, same with Lukonga. They both started really brightly. And he's just, he, he is the definition of a, of a raw player. Um, <laughs> you could say that again. He, he, need, he needs to go out on loan either to a championship club or a lower league Premier League or someone somewhere abroad needs to get some vital minutes which is weird because he was at Benfica obviously a massive club and he was mm. playing he was playing a lot for them as well so I don't I think, know why I think their fans didn't really rate him either to be fair like no I mean we didn't pay a lot for him either we, it was only like six or seven million I think we paid for him yeah um but yeah I was uh shouting at my tv for a good <laughs> 60 minutes and tweeting Mikel Arteta to take him off and yeah he still didn't I actually remember um, the game at Anfield against us where he made a oh. mistake, I think, for the Jota goal. I think it was a make it 2-0. Yeah. Um, I've got to tell this story, actually, whilst I'm, whilst I'm on the podcast. I mean, I watched this game at the local pub near mine, and there was a bunch of Arsenal fans, a few Arsenal fans. It's quite a quiet pub, really, but there was a few Arsenal fans, a few Man U fans, mm. and it was it was a good and watching them was as good was as entertaining as the game because the game was actually really good but watching them was even better because um especially when the VR thing happened you know um and then the, the best thing happened when um someone hit the side netting one of the guys thought thought he'd score so he's jumping around for like a minute before realizing that he hit the side <laughs> netting I don't know I mean these guys it was half 12 one and you think these guys were definitely um, a few a few drinks down when they were watching this game and um, <laughs> it was because the guy thought they, he wearing sunglasses he thought they'd scored and then all the mates were giving him so much stick when he when he did go in <laughs> and then of course there was um, the whole go back to the VAR thing because um, originally um, he was annoyed they'd scored 
and then then the whole penalty thing happened. Um, so yeah, though the man you think, if you think said he thought he was winning while it wasn't a penalty, and then the penalty happened, he was going crazy. And then obviously all his friends were Man U fans. So when Bruno missed that penalty, it was just oh, it was amazing. To watch I, I, that. I know, I, I I struggled to understand why the commentary, especially, but why why other people as well on social media were complaining that Alex Tellers' foul on Saka somehow was not a penalty. Yeah, for me, I, I, for me, he ran straight into the back of him. You, you, yeah, I I think people had a thing about the whole fact that it was offside, but then for me, the foul happened just before, before that. the offside yeah. play was happening. So I think that's why I think it, should, it, it was a penalty, because um, if, if he got pushed in the back after the guy who was offside touched the ball, I'd be like, fair enough. That's not a penalty, but the fact that before I can't think of the player was now before they touched the ball, it was foul. So I, I think, yeah, I think personally it was a foul. Oh, that, um, that that referee was was awful for both teams in respect. To be honest, the entire game. Can't think it was no referee. I think it was, it was Craig Pawson. Oh, that, that didn't shock me. That he, shock he, me every every decision he was getting wrong. Mm. Um, but in the top four as well, Spurs. Brentford played out a really bad 0-0 draw in Brentford. Um, Chelsea got a late winner through Pulisic minutes after Jorginho missed a penalty. So in terms of top four as well, um, Chelsea a third with 32 games played, 65 points. Arsenal fourth, 33 games played, 60 points. Tottenham fifth, 33 games played, 58 points. Then Man you're probably out of it now as a West Ham after that loss to Chelsea. Uh, they can got I, 52, 54 and 52 points. Can, um, can, I, can I chuck another stat at you, Andy? Go on, tell me more. Well, I've just actually seen this on Twitter, and it's, it's quite bizarre. So, basically, if these fixtures between Arsenal and Tottenham go this certain way, which is obviously incredibly unlikely, it would result in something mad. So, I'll just quickly tell you. So, basically, if Arsenal were to beat West Ham 3-0, and then we beat Leeds 3-0, and then we lost to Tottenham 2-1. And then we drew away 1-1 to Newcastle. And then on the final day, we beat Everton 2-0. If that happened in culmination with Tottenham beating Leicester at the weekend 2-1, then losing 3-0 to Liverpool, obviously beating us 2-1, winning 1-0 at home to Burnley, and then winning 1-0 away to Norwich, that would mean we would both teams would finish on the exact same points same goal difference, same goal scored, which means it would need to be a playoff. Is that what they? Is that what they do? Uh, yeah, it, it it would need to be a playoff at a neutral venue. Can you I mean, that, that's, that's a lot of what what is. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. That's a, that's a lot of what is. <laughs> it is, but there 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 are a lot of results there which are quite feasible. That's mm-hmm. that's no, the only reason yeah. I found it interesting. Can you it imagine? Just, it just struck me as a bit of a um, if my aunt had ball, she'd be your uncle sort of that. Right, one our final top talking point to the Premier League and all linking a bit of league in which, if you don't know, PSG won once again. Um, there's talks that Posh is going to get even the same day or the next day after Posh won the league title with PSG. There was talks that they were going to sack him immediately which hasn't been confirmed yet but there's also talks that Antonio Conte made himself available for the job so this has led me to a question I wanted to ask you guys about this was could you see either just a straight swap deal or just two managers leaving and arriving at the same time um, could you see Conte and Poch just theoretically just swapping clubs no do you reckon no, I think it would be a massive mistake for both managers. Conte mm. is not someone who does well in Europe, nope. and that, that's what PSG want. Mm. Pochettino going back to Spurs doesn't make any sense to me. At the end of the day, he, he, he had a couple of good years there, but didn't win anything. He was sacked by them, which was incredibly harsh at the time. Um, I don't, I don't see. I mean, because. Tottenham's director of football, Paratici, apparently also offered himself to PSG because they're looking to sack Leonardo. Um, so it was it's kind of like, you know, two Italians for the price of one kind of thing. Um, I, I think that would be daft. PSG should just literally go all out for Zidane. 
I couldn't agree more. I mean, if there's any man who knows how to handle egos, it's Zidane. He's handled the team with Ramos, Marcelo, Ronaldo, Casillas, all these people like that. Um, whereas mm-hmm. uh, I think now one thing Poch maybe struggled at PSG has probably been handling all the big egos like the Ramos, the likes of Neymar, Mbappe, um, maybe even Gargi Messi in terms of egos and all that. But I think Zidane's the perfect capable of handling these big players. And I think if PSG even go and get Ronaldo, because uh, they can afford his wages, I think that would be perfect for Zidane. Um, I, mean, could, I mean, could you really see Neymar, I don't know about Messi so much, but some of these PSG players having to work in an Antonio Conte training session, obviously he's quite renowned for his training sessions being brutal. Mm. I, I don't see how that would work at all. I think the one player that would love that would be Ramos. Uh, I think that's he's, always in, he's always injured. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, um, but talking to Dan, uh, his former league is La Liga, so we're going to head to there for our final league uh, of the day. So, Naeem, uh, what's been happening over the weekend? Yeah, not too much has been happening. As um, obviously had a double game week uh, midweek, so was the only team that did play on the weekend on Sunday was Barcelona. I will get to them in a minute, but. The biggest game of the weekend was obviously the Copa del Rey, del Rey final between Real Betis and Valencia. Uh, I didn't actually manage to catch the game as I was out, but I managed to obviously watch, watch most of the game back for extended highlights. So, yeah, the, the way the game panned out, uh, Real Betis, they, they started off um, very well, 11th minute. Hector Bellerin put in a good cross, didn't really do that too much for Arsenal, but nevertheless, it was a good cross and... Borjo Iglesias headed home. Uh, the weather game was going 20 minutes later. Obviously, Robert won the attack. Uh, they got dispossessed in Valencia's own half and three quick little passes. And before you knew it, they was on the they was on the break. Uh, and obviously, uh, uh, Mariba he played a nice through ball into Hugo Duro. All he had to do was just dink it over the goalkeeper and they equalised. So, yeah, going through, obviously, the second half, um, both teams did have, have their fair share of chances. I did feel that Real Betis should have had a penalty in the second half um, as one of their players did get fouled, but VR obviously claimed that obviously it wasn't a foul. So, the game finished 1-1 after 90 minutes, extra time, Either team, I think they were both tired. There wasn't too many chances happening there. And then obviously in the end, it went to a penalty shootout. So, first two penalties from either side were scored. Uh, one being from Joaquin. Um, it's crazy to think now he's 40 years old. He's been, been around for a good part of two decades now. But, obviously, Valencia's third penalty... Um, Yunus Musa, he actually had his shot off target. And then, obviously, Real Betis scored their final two. And, obviously, Valencia, they scored that one. So, in the end, they won 5-4 on penalties in the end. So, they got a bit of silverware this season. It's the first time since 2004, I believe, uh, was the last time they won um, any silverware. And I believe that was in the Copa del Rey. So... Yes, um, it's not been a bad season for Real Betis. You know, they can still, in in the league-wise, league, league wise, they can still um, get into the top four. They are four points off of fourth place, Atletico Madrid. So, it's a bit slim, slim and unlikely, but you never know. Um, obviously, the way these results are going lately, anything can happen. But yeah, I just wanted to mention, obviously, before, obviously, the Real Betis manager is uh, Manuel Pellegrini. As you see, everyone knows him from his time at West Ham. Obviously, he didn't do too well there. He was... Been at Malaga as well, and he's uh, managed the Chile national team as well. The season before he came in, they actually finished fifteenth, I believe, and it was actually five points off the relegation zone. In his first season, he finished sixth, and also they got to the Europa League quarterfinals, I believe it was, or the, the round before that. So had a little decent run in there. Obviously, they're going to be in if they don't finish in the top four this season, they will be in the Europa League and. Yeah, he's from. He's also he's been there for two seasons nearly, and um, obviously the progress he's made is very good. Because I think quite a while about what Ryan was saying that if you look on the paper, their squad isn't the greatest, but 
you know, with Pellegrini, he, he does, has done well in La Liga, obviously, his time with Malaga, he got them quite far in Champions League one season. But, yeah, I think I think next season they probably will have a good go of it. And, you know, if they get the right players in, then I reckon they can uh, challenge for those top four positions. Um, but, yeah, so that that's what happened in the Copa del Rey. So I'll quickly just move back to what happened in La, La Liga. So... On the last pod, I did mention Real Sociedad were playing Barcelona. Uh, that game finished 1-0, Aubameyang with the only goal. Barcelona, once again, obviously dominate possession. Real Sociedad, they were very wasteful with their chances. And, uh, yeah, the less said about that, the better. And, yeah, so going on to Sunday, Barcelona, they took took on Cadiz at home. No, sorry, not Cadiz. That was the last home game. Let's talk on Raya Vallecano. I was going to um, say these stats, and I, w- I want you guys to guess the score. So, in the entire game, Barcelona has 71% possession. Raya Vallecano had 29%. Barcelona had 18 shots. Raya Vallecano, three. Barcelona had five on target. Obviously, Raya Vallecano had one. So, wh- what do you guys think the score was um, in this game? Um, I know the score, so I'm going to stay out of this. <laughs> <laughs> so do I, but yeah, uh, that's definitely a uh, a football manager sort of shitbag performance. It pretty much is. So yeah, obviously, as you guys know, in the in the end, it was 1-0. Uh, Alvaro Garcia, he got the only goal of the game, came in the seventh minute. And obviously, this is the third home game in a row in all competitions that Barcelona have lost. So I'm not too sure what's going on there, but... It seems when they do come up with these these teams that will, you know, just try and hit them on the counter and get a goal, they they seem to seem to find it hard to break down. So that's something that Chavi does need to work on because you know they were doing they were doing well and then you know they've, they've lost the, well, they've lost three out of their last four games. So they will still finish in the top four, but you know they've got to be careful because, like I said, Real Betis they can creep up in there as well, and. Mm-hmm. The the run of fixtures are pretty easy anyway. They got most of the teams they're playing are in the bottom half, so they will probably finish, I reckon, second or third. But yeah, it's not good losing obviously one nil in the last two home games in the league. So all Real Madrid need now on the weekend against Espanyol is one point, and they will secure their another league title. But like I like I've been saying for weeks, it's obviously Real Madrid to lose, and they they were never in doubt. Not too obviously lose that lead that they had so yeah not too much happened on the weekend obviously next this weekend we will have a full round of fixtures and yeah there'll be a bit more to update you guys on where's poet piers morgan now <laughs> wait what? what what was this reference so i was he, he kept um banging on about obviously a bamiang scoring all these goals at barcelona and oh I yeah. See. Yeah, yeah so we should have never sold him yada 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 but you know uh, I mean, well, I think well, that one was best both teams involved. I think Barca got a good player who's improved since going back there or going to Barca. And I think Arsenal needed to get a shot of him. He really wasn't it doing what they wanted. It won't be long before something happens and he's kicked out of Barca. It's oh, just, without doubt. Without it's doubt. Just, just, it is just the, you know, how the Alabama Yang saga always ends. But um, yeah. one thing actually I wanted to add to Noeem's review of the Copa del Rey is that everyone's favourite Spanish winger, Joaquin, is... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know appara- exactly where you're going with this. <laughs> he's appara- apparently, he's he's renewing his contract and <laughs> for oh. another year. He is he is the immortal winger himself. And, uh, yeah, apparently he's, he's uh, announced that after the cup final on telly that he was staying for another year. So, you know, I remember the days of him and him and Vicente at Valencia on either wing. Mm, yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, were you talking about the photo? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the one where he recreated, if anyone doesn't know, he recreated his, um, I think he had a picture when he won, won it last time in the 2004 5 season. He um, had a picture of him naked alongside the trophy. He recreated <laughs> it. He actually looks in good shape. He's for his age. He's, someone who's 40 actually looks in just as good shape as he did when he was in youngness. I think he seems to have taking care of his body, which is probably why he can still play at the age of what he is now. So For, for a winger, that's up. so much yeah, to play of, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's not like he's there just out of sentiment either. He's there because he's still decent. 
Yeah, yeah, he still does offer something to the team. I think, so. think, he, think this season he's at, he actually got the uh, stat for the oldest goal scorer in La Liga wow. history. Oh, wow, OK. Yeah, I don't um, think anyone's going to be beating that anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> you look at, look at the, the infant one in Family Gigs, who, but he changed position towards the end of his career, but Joaquin is still playing out, out wide um, at that age, so fair he, play to him. Who did you mention there? Gigs? Yeah, Gigs. After he moved to the oh, center, towards the end. Oh, he was—he wasn't—he wasn't. He was very good. Over, overrated. <laughs> I think you're right to a certain point. No, I think he was—he was really good, and I think he was one. Of the, he's probably the top twenty players of all time, Premier League. But I think people seem to—that's the most biased talking there. Yep, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> What's me? Bias? Me? I—I—I've I, I, never—I've never liked it. It's not just because of what he's done in the last few years, but. Um, yeah, I think I still have him in the top 20 players, even top 15, you could argue. But I think people seem to have him up higher in his pedestal because of the fact that he played on so long. But I think he was really good. And I think that... The stats it, don't really back him up, though, that much when you look uh, at the stats. I, I suppose. But I think he was... Yeah, I think on his day, he's very good. But, but yeah, that's another that's another day. I think that's another talking point he, in itself. He, um, he, he definitely isn't on, you know, Mr. Statman himself, Alex Barker's uh, all-time good list then if uh if, if stats make up the players on yeah. his time fucking list i mean stats weren't a big as big a thing back then but i think he um certainly was very good and i think he definitely transitioned really well to that midfield role but um but yeah um we will have a debate i think in the summer about the more overrated of underrated underrated players maybe even do a top 15 or 20 ranking in the premier league history that'll um end up, that'll end up in tears <laughs> There'll be riots <laughs> all over social media if we did that. Uh, but I think it's something we should definitely look into. I think they'll definitely get have a few talking points and some debates going on the uh, on the show. Um, yeah, that has been the podcast for this week. Um, bit of announcement at the end of this podcast. Uh, well, I will be taking a month off um, just due to my ongoing and university studies. Um, May is a very busy time in terms of all that so i'll be taking a month off of both podcasts i do that and the hair dry treatment podcast um but so i'll be handing over the reins for the next month of the presenting pasty to ryan so um hope you all enjoy ryan's um what should i say his 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 backup role his um his his chance to shine you should say um, carnage yeah. is another word <laughs> yeah. well i'm looking forward to listening to see how it goes next month and then i will be back um sort of mid-June time, maybe even late May, if it gets to that point. Um, so, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening, and I look forward to seeing you boys all in a month's time. Um, so this has been the Yotrips podcast. I have been Andy. This has been Jonathan. This has been Naeem. This has been Ryan. And we will see you next time. Later, guys.